Chapter Four of Barchester Towers by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nick Whitley, Purley, United Kingdom. Chapter Four: The Bishop's Chaplain. Of the Rev. Mr. Slope's parentage, I am not able to say much. I have heard it asserted that he is lineally descended from that eminent physician who assisted at the birth of Mr. T. Shandy, and that in early years he added an E to his name for the sake of euphony, as other great men have done before him. If this be so, I presume he was christened Obadiah, for that is his name, in commemoration of the conflict in which his ancestor so distinguished himself. All my researches on the subject have, however, failed in enabling me to fix the date on which the family changed its religion. He had been a sizer at Cambridge, and had there conducted himself at any rate successfully, for in due process of time he was an M.A., having university pupils under his care. From thence he was transferred to London, and became preacher at a new district church, built on the confines of Baker Street. He was in this position when congenial ideas on religious subjects recommended him to Mrs. Proudie, and the intercourse had become close and confidential. Having been thus familiarly thrown among the Mrs. Proudie, it was no more than natural that some softer feeling than friendship should be engendered. There have been some passages of love between him and the eldest hope, Olivia, but they have hitherto resulted in no favourable arrangement. In truth, Mr. Slope, having made a declaration of affection, afterwards withdrew it, on finding that the doctor had no immediate worldly funds with which to endow his child, and it may easily be conceived that Miss Proudie, after such an announcement on his part, was not readily disposed to receive any further show of affection. On the appointment of Dr. Proudie to the bishopric of Barchester, Mr. Slope's views were in truth somewhat altered. Bishops, even though they be poor, can provide for clerical children, and Mr. Slope began to regret that he had not been more disinterested. He no sooner heard the tidings of the doctor's elevation than he recommenced his siege, not violently indeed, but respectfully, and at a distance. Olivia Proudie, however, was a girl of spirit. She had the blood of two peers in her veins, and better still, she had another lover on her books. So Mr. Slope sighed in vain and the pair soon found it convenient to establish a mutual bond of inveterate hatred. It may be thought singular that Mrs. Proudie's friendship for the young clergyman should remain firm after such an affair, but, to tell the truth, she had known nothing of it. Though very fond of Mr. Slope herself, she had never conceived the idea that either of her daughters would become so, and remembering their high birth and social advantages, expected for them matches of a different sort. Neither the gentleman nor the lady found it necessary to enlighten her. Olivia's two sisters had each known of the affair, as had all the servants, 
as had all the people living in the adjoining houses on either side. But Mrs. Proudie had been kept in the dark. Mr. Slope soon comforted himself with the reflection that, as he had been selected as chaplain to the bishop, it would probably be in his power to get the good things in the bishop's gift, without troubling himself with the bishop's daughter, and he found himself able to endure the pangs of rejected love. As he sat himself down in the railway carriage, confronting the bishop and Mrs. Proudie, as they started on their first journey to Barchester, he began to form in his own mind a plan of his future life. He knew well his patron's strong points, but he knew the weak ones as well. He understood correctly enough to what attempts the new bishop's high spirit would soar, and he rightly guessed that public life would better suit the great man's taste than the small details of diocesan duty. He, therefore, he, Mr. Slope, would in effect be Bishop of Barchester. Such was his resolve, and to give Mr. Slope his due, he had both courage and spirit to bear him out in his resolution. He knew that he should have a hard battle to fight, for the power and patronage of the sea would be equally coveted by another great mind. Mrs. Proudie would also choose to be Bishop of Barchester. Mr. Slope, however, flattered himself that he could outmanoeuvre the lady. She must live much in London, while he would always be on the spot. She would necessarily remain ignorant of much, while he would know everything belonging to the diocese. At first, doubtless, he must flatter and cajole, perhaps yield in some things, but he did not doubt of ultimate triumph. If all other means failed, he could join the bishop against his wife, inspire courage into the unhappy man, lay an axe to the root of the woman's power, and emancipate the husband. Such were his thoughts as he sat looking at the sleeping pair in the railway carriage, and Mr. Slope is not the man to trouble himself with such thoughts for nothing. He is possessed of more than average abilities, and is of good courage. Though he can stoop to fawn, and stoop low indeed if need be, he has still within him the power to assume the tyrant, and with the power he has certainly the wish. His acquirements are not of the highest order, but such as they are, they are completely under control, and he knows the use of them. He is gifted with a certain kind of pulpit eloquence, not likely indeed to be persuasive with men, but powerful with the softer sex. In his sermons he deals greatly in denunciations, excites the minds of his weaker hearers with a not unpleasant terror, and leaves an impression on their minds that all mankind are in a perilous state, and all womankind too, except those who attend regularly to the evening lectures in Baker Street. His looks and tones are extremely severe, 
so much so that one cannot but fancy that he regards the greater part of the world as being infinitely too bad for his care as he walks through the streets his very face denotes his horror of the world's wickedness and there is always an anathema lurking in the corner of his eye in doctrine he like his patron is tolerant of dissent if so strict a mind can be called tolerant of anything with wesleyan methodists he has something in common but his soul trembles in agony at the iniquities of the puseyites his aversion is carried to things outward as well as inward his gall rises at a new church with a high-pitched roof a full-breasted black silk waistcoat is with him a symbol of satan and a profane jest-book would not in his view more foully desecrate the church seat of a christian than a book of prayer printed with red letters and ornamented with a cross on the back most active clergymen have their hobby and sunday observances are his sunday however is a word which never pollutes his mouth it is always the sabbath the desecration of the sabbath as he delights to call it is to him meat and drink he thrives upon that as policemen do on the general evil habits of the community it is the loved subject of all his evening discourses the source of all his eloquence the secret of all his power over the female heart to him the revelation of god appears only in that one law given for jewish observance to him the mercies of our saviour speak in vain to him in vain has been preached that sermon which fell from divine lips on the mountain blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy to him the new testament is comparatively of little moment for from it can he draw no fresh authority for that dominion which he loves to exercise over at least a seventh part of man's allotted time here below mr slope is tall and not ill-made his feet and hands are large as has ever been the case with all his family but he has a broad chest and wide shoulders to carry off these excrescences and on the whole his figure is good his countenance however is not specially prepossessing his hair is lank and of a dull pale reddish hue it is always formed into three straight lumpy masses each brushed with admirable precision and cemented with much grease two of them adhere closely to the sides of his face and the other lies at right angles above them he wears no whiskers and is always punctiliously shaven his face is nearly of the same colour as his hair though perhaps a little redder it is not unlike beef beef however one would say of a bad quality his forehead is capacious and high but square and heavy and unpleasantly shining his mouth is large though his lips are thin and bloodless 
and his big prominent pale brown eyes inspire anything but confidence his nose however is his redeeming feature it is pronounced straight and well formed though i myself should have liked it better did it not possess a somewhat spongy porous appearance as though it had been cleverly formed out of a red-coloured cork i never could endure to shake hands with mr slope a cold clammy perspiration always exudes from him the small drops are ever to be seen standing on his brow and his friendly grasp is unpleasant such is mr slope such is the man who has suddenly fallen into the midst of barchester close and is destined there to assume the station which has heretofore been filled by the son of the late bishop think o my meditative reader what an associate we have here for those comfortable prebendaries those gentlemanlike clerical doctors those happy well-used well-fed minor canons who have grown into existence at barchester under the kindly wings of bishop grantly but not as a mere associate for these does mr slope travel down to barchester with the bishop and his wife he intends to be if not their master at least the chief among them he intends to lead and to have followers he intends to hold the purse-strings of the diocese and draw round him an obedient herd of his poor and hungry brethren and here we can hardly fail to draw a comparison between the archdeacon and our new private chaplain and despite the manifold faults of the former one can hardly fail to make it much to his advantage both men are eager much too eager to support and increase the power of their order both are anxious that the world should be priest-governed though they have probably never confessed so much even to themselves both begrudge any other kind of dominion held by man over man dr grantly if he admits the queen's supremacy in things spiritual only admits it as being due to the quasi-priesthood conveyed in the consecrating qualities of her coronation and he regards things temporal as being by their nature subject to those which are spiritual mr slope's ideas of sacerdotal rule are of quite a different class he cares nothing one way or the other for the queen's supremacy these to his ears are empty words meaning nothing forms he regards but little and such titular expressions as supremacy consecration ordination and the like convey of themselves no significance to him let him be supreme who can the temporal king judge or jailer can work but on the body the spiritual master if he have the necessary gifts and can duly use them has a wider field of empire he works upon the soul if he can make himself be believed he can be all-powerful over those who listen if he be careful to meddle with none who are too strong in intellect or too weak in flesh he may indeed be supreme 
and such was the ambition of mr slope dr grantly interfered very little with the worldly doings of those who were in any way subject to him i do not mean to say that he omitted to notice misconduct among his clergy immorality in his parish or omissions in his family but he was not anxious to do so where the necessity could be avoided he was not troubled with a propensity to be curious and as long as those around him were tainted with no heretical leaning towards dissent as long as they fully and freely admitted the efficacy of mother church he was willing that that mother should be merciful and affectionate prone to indulgence and unwilling to chastise he himself enjoyed the good things of this world and liked to let it be known that he did so he cordially despised any brother rector who thought harm of dinner-parties or dreaded the dangers of a moderate claret-jug consequently dinner-parties and claret-jugs were common in the diocese he liked to give laws and to be obeyed in them implicitly but he endeavoured that his ordinances should be within the compass of the man and not unpalatable to the gentleman he had ruled among his clerical neighbours now for sundry years and as he had maintained his power without becoming unpopular it may be presumed that he had exercised some wisdom of mr slope's conduct much cannot be said as his grand career is yet to commence but it may be premised that his tastes will be very different from those of the archdeacon he conceives it to be his duty to know all the private doings and desires of the flock entrusted to his care from the poorer classes he exacts an unconditional obedience to set rules of conduct and if disobeyed he has recourse like his great ancestor to the fulminations of an analphus thou shalt be damned in thy going in and in thy coming out in thy eating and in thy drinking etc 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 with the rich experience has already taught him that a different line of action is necessary men in the upper walks of life do not mind being cursed and the women presuming that it be done in delicate phrase rather like it but he has not therefore given up so important a portion of believing christians with the men indeed he is generally at variance they are hardened sinners on whom the voice of the priestly charmer too often falls in vain but with the ladies old and young firm and frail devout and dissipated he is as he conceives all-powerful he can reprove faults with so much flattery and utter censure in so caressing a manner that the female heart if in gloom with a spark of low church susceptibility cannot withstand him in many houses he is thus an admired guest the husbands for their wives sake are fain to admit him and when once admitted it is not easy to shake him off 
he has however a pawing greasy way with him which does not endear him to those who do not value him for their souls sake and he is not a man to make himself at once popular in a large circle such as is now likely to surround him at barchester end of chapter four recording by nick whitley purley united kingdom